I invite you to join me in your pew Bibles on page 972. Page 972 in your pew Bibles, we're there. We're going to um, read Psalm 136 together. Uh, this morning's service is the morning of responsive readings. Because Psalm 136 is a liturgy that the people of Israel would use in temple worship. And so I would like you to participate with me this morning in our scripture reading, Psalm 136. I'm going to say all the things that aren't his love endures forever. Okay, so do you think you could say his love endures forever over and over again 26 times? For every 26 verses that are in Psalm 136? I'd love you to do that with me, okay, this morning. So here now, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder and brought Israel through the midst of it, but swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the desert, who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel, to the one who remembered us in our low estate, and freed us from our enemies. And who gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Now you may have heard uh, the criticism of contemporary worship music. 7-Eleven culture. You know, you say the same thing. The, the verses seven times, the chorus 11 times. It's repetitive, right? And it goes on and on and on. Now, although there might be a legitimate complaint against vapid and empty worship music filled with little content about God, there's actually a precedent for repetition in the worship of God. Um, we just experienced it in Psalm 136. Um, 
saying his love endures forever 26 times teaches us a little bit about the nature of humans, right? At the beginning, you guys had a very good umph, but you sort of petered out there at the end. And you know what? That's kind of how we do about God's love, isn't it? Maybe when we first become Christians or something great happens in our life, we're reminded of the greatness of God's love and mercy, but um, as time goes on, yeah, God, you know, God loves us. Or Peter's out. But the repetition is meant to instill into our minds and our memories the greatness, the wonder of God's love. It's found here in the Psalter, and it's also in the repetitive nature of our liturgy. If you've worshipped at Cottage Grove or churches like it for some time, you'll find that there is a very uh, dialogical communion communication between God and the congregation, that there's always same things that uh, we participate in, like a reading of God's law, like an assurance of pardon, like God's greeting at the beginning of the service, and a benediction at the end. And all these things we experience every Sunday over and over again. These are things that we do over and over again, like the Lord's Supper. Uh, we do that um, every, um, every month. So there's a repetitive nature. And the, the repetitive character of liturgy means in many ways that we're joining the past with our present in the worship of God's people. And one Christian philosopher, Jacob Quick, says it like this. When we recite ancient prayers, follow liturgical calendars, celebrate the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, we would say, we join the saints in praising God and conforming ourselves to Christ's image. At the same time, we are participating in fresh expressions of these ancient traditions, exploring their surplus of meaning. For millennia, across countless contexts, people of different nations, tribes, and tongues have proclaimed the love of Christ. And with each proclamation, the mosaic of Christ's body grows in its beautiful complexity and boundless diversity. Listen to what he says. Christian liturgy is not about repeating abstract propositions but affirming the truth of the gospel with our whole being. As a result, Christian liturgy requires a sacred, sacred repetition which calls us to embody Christ anew in each moment, all the while participating in the same tradition of our forebearers. Such is the compelling paradox of Christian liturgy. And that's what Psalm 136 really is about, the connection between the past in the present, in the worship of God's people. And so our theme this morning is to remember God's faithful love in the past is to give thanks for His faithful love in the present. To remember God's faithful love in the past is to give thanks for His faithful love in the present. Our three points this morning break down much like our theme breaks down. The first point is to remember. The second point is, is to give thanks. The third point is for his faithful love. We're going to look at Psalm 136 in our series on the Psalms in the summer as a remembrance psalm. It could be also uh, seen as a Thanksgiving psalm, but there are many psalms in the Psalter wherein Israel recites the past of redemption that God has brought them through, much like this psalm does, and that's a remembrance psalm. 
And so in this psalm, Psalm 136, this psalmist recites uh, the exodus, recites the wilderness wanderings, recites the, uh, the giving of the promised land and the military might that brought about receiving that inheritance. And so this is a, a, a psalm of remembrance. Okay? So let's look first at this first point, to remember. Okay? First thing I want to note is that in, um, in terms about the psalms, what we have in Psalm 136, we call an inclusio. Because the beginning of Psalm 136 begins with give thanks. Um, and then the end, in verse 26, it ends with give thanks. Um, you could call it also bookends. Um, beginning and end of the psalm points us to uh, uh, one of the main reasons for this psalm. It's to give thanks. Uh, but I'd like to start with uh, the idea of remembrance here in this psalm. If you look at verses 4 through 9 in this psalm, you'll find that the first thing that the psalmist wants to remind his audience of, remind the worshipers of, is that God is the God of creation. God is the God of creation. And if you uh, take note, every single one of our services begin with what we call a declaration of trust. And that declaration of trust is, our help is in the name of the Lord. And maybe you guys know what comes next. The creator of the heavens and the earth. Why is it that we say that saying our help is in the name of the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is an expression or a declaration of trust? Because we are declaring that our trust is in the only God that is God. The God who created the heavens and the earth. And that's what the psalmist does. The first thing that the psalmist wants to remind the worshipers of, all the way back in the time of Israel, when they gathered at the temple and here this morning, is this. And God created the heavens and the earth. And there's so much importance in remembering that. He says, To him who alone does great wonders who by his understanding made the heaven. The word in the Hebrew there is much more like by his creativity, his wisdom, his, the way he exquisitely put together this world, the heavens, who spread out the earth upon the waters, who made the great lights. And unlike in Genesis, Psalm 136 calls these great lights specifically the sun to govern the day, the moon and stars to govern the night. The psalmist is not worried that this God could possibly be confused with any other gods that are related to the sun and the moon and the stars because this psalmist wants to make sure that we know that God is the one who created all things. To remember creation. The God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. That we are to order our life in such a way that we understand who God is. That He is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the only God, the God of creation. Okay? But He's not only the God of creation, because in this psalm of remembrance, there is a lot said about the history of Israel. You could say this is a very short history lesson performed during a worship service. 
verses 10 through 22, talk about the history of redemption and the people of Israel. Verses 10 and all the way up to verse 15 talk about the exodus who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. That's the climactic event that, that, the, that uh, results in, in Pharaoh finally saying, go, leave, right? Um, brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, that phrase, a mighty hand and outstretched arm, expresses the power of salvation that God has, the power of redemption that God had in the people of Israel's life. They were in slavery in Egypt, and God rescued them and brought them out. And of course, you probably know that the Exodus is simply a picture of redemption used throughout all of Scripture to describe the redemption that came in Jesus Christ. The Israelites were slaves to Pharaoh, and we are slaves to sin and to the tyranny of the devil. The Israelites were freed by the wonderful, powerful working of God in the Exodus, and we are freed by the wonderful, powerful working of God in the crucifixion and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. The Exodus points to salvation in Jesus Christ. So that's um, the story of the Exodus, but also um, the psalmist recounts the uh, story of the wilderness wandering, led his people through the desert, the story of the entrance into the promised land and the conquering of those kings who were in the promised land, struck down great kings, killed mighty kings, listing a couple of them, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, the story of of giving the land of Israel as an inheritance to his people there in the promised land. Um, that's redemption in the past. Um, but the psalmist also recalls redemption in the present. And that's for another moment, since we're looking right now at things to remember. So one of the characters of this psalm of remembrance is to remember. We're to remember how God has been at work in our lives. And, and an interesting note about creation, why is it important that we remember that God um, is the God of creation? Well, if you've ever met somebody who's uh, had a difficult family background, um, their upbringing was difficult, their upbringing was hard, challenged, um, maybe they have a lot of resentment and hate towards their family of origin. Maybe they have a lot of resentment and hate towards um, their parents and the way that they were raised, the way they were treated or mistreated. But even if they have nothing but bad memories of their parents, they can still be thankful. Because without their parents, without their family of origin, they would not exist. So you could say, to remember that God is the God of creation is to remember at the very core base one of the reasons why we are to give thanks, and that is because if God had not created, we would not have life. And the people of Israel's remembering 
of the history of redemption is to remember how God has been faithful to them in the past. So let's look at the second point then, to give thanks. You could say that Psalm 136 is also a, a psalm of thanksgiving. And like I said, it includes you, or it has a bookend where it begins with give thanks and ends with give thanks. The beginning of the psalm says this, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. And then at the end of the psalm it says, give thanks to the God of heaven. Uh, there are many things in this psalm that we are to give thanks for. Um, the core one that we are to give thanks for, of course, is that repetition. His love endures forever, but we're going to leave that for our final point. Other things that I believe that the psalmist here is saying that we should give thanks for are this. The first one he says is for the goodness. For God's goodness, we are to give thanks. For his one and onlyness. Verses 2 and 3 say he's the God of gods. He's the Lord of lords. He's the only God. We're supposed to give thanks for that. Now, verses 4 through 12 in creation, we're supposed to give thanks for his power and his artistry in creation. Verses 13 through 22, we're to give thanks for his care for us in the past. Now, John Calvin, quoting on this psalm, says here, The psalmist represents every age as affording displays of the same goodness as had been shown to their fathers since God had never failed to help his people by a continued succession of deliverances. So what's John Calvin saying? He's saying, the psalmist represents every age as a reason for giving thanks, because look, look at the way God saved our forefathers in this age. Look at the way that God saved our forefathers in this age. Look at the way that our God was faithful and brought our forefathers through in this age. Wow! A continued succession of deliverances there is no loss record with God. There is no point in history when you could turn to and say, God, God was unfaithful there. We're also to give thanks not only for his care for us in the past, but as I mentioned earlier, the psalmist also turns to his care for us in the present. At verse 23, you see a shift in the psalm from a remembering to a where we are right now. And you can almost imagine that in the worship of God in the temple, the people of Israel, that this would be the turning point for the psalm to say, yeah, this is the way God was present in the past, the way he redeemed in the past, but this is how he's with us now in the same way. Verse 23 says, to the one who remembered us in our lowest state and freed us from our enemies and who gives food to every creature. John Calvin, quoted on this psalm again, says, in the close, he speaks of the paternal providence of God as extending not only to all mankind, but to every living creature, suggesting that we have no reason to feel surprise at his sustaining the character of a kind and provident father to his own people when he condescends to care for the cattle and the asses of the field and the crow and the sparrow. Why is it the psalmist says, gives food to every creature? Because the psalmist wants us to know that if God 
is a caring, providential father of the cows, the sheep, the animals, the birds. How can we doubt that he will take care of us? It's the same thing that Jesus says when he says, if a sparrow falls from the sky, the Lord knows. That's why we can trust him to take care of us. We can trust him to take care of us. And finally, in transitioning to this final point, the main theme of Psalm 136 that we are to remember and give thanks for the thing which is repeated over and over and over again is what Psalm 136 says here, his love endures forever. I often find that the English language is insufficient to grasp this word. In fact, if you go through a number of different English translations, the NIV, the ESV, the King James, you'll find this word in particular translated in a variety of ways. His loving kindness, his mercy, his faithfulness. They're just trying to grasp at what is being meant by this word here, hesed. His hesed is forever. It endures forever. His love endures forever. This entire psalm wants us to remember how God has been enduring in his love and compassion to his people, how God can still and will still endure in his love and compassion and care for us in the present and to give thanks for that. In a book I read recently called Gentle and Lowly, um, the 15th chapter of that book, um, the author, he talks about God's natural work and his strange work. And this idea he gets from Jonathan Edwards, he gets this terminology, his natural work and his strange work from Jonathan Edwards, um, but really he gets it from the Bible. Because um, often in the scriptures you hear that it is God's desire that people would repent and turn from their sins. He would rather that people would repent and turn from their sins. You hear that kind of language in Ezekiel. You hear that kind of language in Jeremiah. And um, this is Jonathan Edwards quoting on Hosea. Hosea chapter 11, verse 8. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 8, this is what it says. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. This is what Jonathan Edwards says about Hosea chapter 11, verse 8. The heart of God being expressed in that verse. He says, God has no pleasure in the destruction or calamity of persons or people. He had rather they should turn and continue in peace. He is well pleased if they forsake their evil ways, that he may not have occasion to execute his wrath upon them. He is a God that delights in mercy, and judgment is his strange work. The reason why Psalm 136 says over and over again his love endures forever is because that is the heart of God. 
His loving faithfulness. His covenant has said. His faithfulness and compassion. It never ends. So we're to remember. And to remember is to give thanks. And not just to give thanks for anything, but to give thanks for his faithful love. His never-ending love. This word has said mercy, compassion, love, grace, faithfulness. Uh, John Milton, he, um, he wrote uh, a, a song in, in response to Psalm 136. And in the refrain of his hymn version of this psalm, he, he explains this word in, and I believe, a helpful fashion. For his mercies, a endure, ever faithful, ever sure. Robert Davidson, in his commentary, quoting on this particular word, hesed, that's repeated over and over again. In fact, hesed is the word in Psalm 103 that we read earlier when we read, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's hesed. This is what uh, Robert Davis, Robert, Robert Davidson says. When applied to God... It speaks of a divine commitment and loving concern which remain unchanging in the face of all human frailty and fickleness. Here is the unchanging certainty which Israel flung defiantly in the face of the ever-changing and often testing experiences of life. What is being described here in the psalm is God's forever love. Forever love. Unchanging love. It is true, isn't it, that we are such fickle people? It is true that we're frail. We say things like, um, you know, we love pizza. But, uh, but maybe next week we won't feel like eating pizza. We'd rather have tacos. Maybe we'll have taco pizza. We are very um, always changing in the way that we feel, in the way that we express our emotions, in the way that we, we, um, we experience this world. This week we may very, very much sense and feel uh, the closeness and the love of God. But next week, what happens if our bank account is emptied out and we forgot about these payments and, and our kids are sick and we're worn out and wiped out and we don't feel God's love? Well, guess what? Whether you feel God's love or whether you don't feel God's love, God's love never changes. It's always there for you. He's always there for you. See, we love our spouses. And I'm not saying that's not true. You know, but sometimes in our relationships with people, we have to make a conscious decision. This week, my spouse is harder to love. This week, I have not loved my spouse as I should have. You relate to that, don't you? You understand that, don't you? 
that cannot be said of God. That cannot be said of God. Sometimes in our heart, we think of God the same way we think of other people in this world. That if I step on their toes, or if I spat in their face, they would despise me. They would be annoyed by my presence. They would no longer want me around. This is not true of God. His love is hesed. It's forever love. And this love is expressed most perfectly in Christ. If you go, go on a website called gotquestions.com, you can um, look up, what does this word hesed mean? It's a good resource, gotquestions.com. Lots of good stuff on there. And uh, if you read that uh, article on hesed, it ends with this. The message of the gospel God's act of forgiveness and salvation in Jesus is rooted in Hesed. Hesed describes the disposition of God's heart not only toward his people, but to all humanity. The love of God extends far beyond duty or expectation. His forgiveness of sin fulfills a need that is basic to all other needs in the relationship between human beings and God. The restoration and continuation of fellowship with God and Jesus Christ. God's Hesed manifested in forgiveness makes a relationship with him possible that forgiveness comes to us freely as a gift from god based on the sacrificial act of christ and ian Duguid, commenting on god's hesed love in relationship to the gospel of jesus christ says this the fullness of the lord's hesed is seen in the cross there the true hesed jesus christ himself the only human ever truly to be loyal to the Lord and to his neighbor in every aspect of life, was treated as the covenant breaker and cursed for sin so that we who are unfaithful might be clothed in his faithfulness and thus redeemed. In this way, God's original covenant purpose to have a people for his praise was faithfully accomplished. And there you look back again at Psalm 136. And you see, you see Jesus all over it. You see Jesus in creation, for we were made in his image. You see Jesus in the Exodus, for we are redeemed in him. You see Jesus in the inheritance, because the inheritance of the people of Israel, the promised land, was simply to point to the greater inheritance that we would have in Jesus Christ, not simply a plot of land in the Middle East, but all of creation. That we would be co-heirs with Christ in inheriting everything that he inherits from the Lord. And we think of Jesus when we read verse 23. The one who remembered us in our lowest state freed us from our enemies. God, in the giving of Christ our Savior, God, in the birth of Jesus Christ from Mary's very own mouth, would say these words, the Lord has remembered his servant in their lowest state. And God had mercy on us. He saw us in our sin. He saw us in our weakness. He saw us Unable 
to save ourselves. And he sent Jesus Christ, his son, in Hesed, loving faithfulness. Which is why, not surprisingly, Colossians 3, verse 16, in the New Testament, Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, will say this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's why Paul to the church in Ephesus will say, speaking another, one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God for the Father, God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What better way? What better way to praise the Lord, to remember and to give thanks for his faithful love than to consider the message of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. To make the good news of Jesus Christ the liturgy that we repeat day in and day out of our lives. We never let it leave our lips. We never let it leave our mind. We're always preaching the gospel to ourselves, to our family, to our friends, and to the world. The gospel is the Christian liturgy. It is the story in the history of redemption. And to remember God's faithful love in the past is to give thanks for his faithful love in the present. But it's also, I'm going to add something else here, to grab hold of the promise of his faithful love for us in the future because it's never ending. If he's been faithful to us in the past, we can know that he will be faithful to us in the present. But if he's been faithful to us in the past and he's faithful to us in the present, continuing to show his hesed love to us in Jesus Christ, then we can know that he will continue to love us into eternity. Into eternity. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us a great and wonderful salvation. We give thanks to you for you are good. We give thanks to you because you're the God of gods. We give thanks to you, the Lord of lords. We give thanks to you, the God of heaven. Lord, we do remember that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth. We do remember your faithfulness to us in redemption and salvation in the past and redemption and salvation to us in the present. And we grab hold of the promise of your salvation to us in the future. When Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead, when every tear is wiped away, when the heavens and the earth are made new, when all things, all things are brought under your feet and where we will be robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and worship you on the land that was slain throughout all eternity. We thank you, Lord, that you remembered us in our lowest state, freed us from our enemies. That you, Lord, have saved us in Jesus Christ. And we give thanks. We give thanks to you for your love endures forever. In Jesus' name, amen.